Well, good morning, Pillar family. Uh, my name is Pastor Kanan, if you didn't catch that already. Um, and I'm truly excited about these next six Sundays. Because these next six Sundays, uh, we're getting ready to open up a, a short six-week series. And then from there, we're going to go through the book of Galatians. And that's going to be an amazing book. What we normally do at Pillar is we take a book of the Bible and we walk through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. That's what we normally do. But we take breaks intermittently throughout there. And this is one of those breaks. And we're going to talk about something we call the six basics. Um, and <clears throat> myself, along with some of the other elders and men of Pillar Church, are going to be preaching through this series. Uh, and these are what you are going to hear. You're going to hear uh, sermon, uh, sermons on enjoying God on regular repentance, on Christian family, on bold witness, on spiritual formation, and on community engagement. Uh, for this morning, if you guys got a bulletin, if you got one of these, um, on the back there's a QR code. That first top QR code is cross-references. At Pillar Church, we use a lot of cross-references. We love quoting scripture. And so if you have a device, go ahead and pull that up. I'll be referring to those throughout the sermon, different cross-references. Sometimes some come off of eagle's wings from, this, from the mountain on high from in my brain. And uh, if that happens, just write them down, pen them down. We also have a paper version in the back if you don't have a device. Now, if you're a member here at Pillar Church, then this, this concept of the six basics should be somewhat familiar to you because it's in your membership booklet. And if you're not a member at Pillar Church, I hope that these sermons will be an introduction to this concept and a blessing to you. And the whole aim of doing this is to lead you closer to Jesus and each other. That's the whole point. This is not an exhaustive list. These six basics are not an exhaustive list of Christian disciplines, okay? But it's a helpful list of Christian disciplines. And so I pray that you would take this and you would consider yourself in light of these. And this morning, we're going to be leading things off with enjoying God. And there's a reason why we're starting with enjoying God and not any of the other ones. We're starting with enjoying God because enjoying God seems to be one of the most elusive realities for the Christian. Let me say that again. Enjoying God is one of the most elusive realities for many of us who claim the name of Christ. But why is that? We talk about worshiping God. We talk about serving God. But it's not often that we talk about enjoying God. Right. When's the last? It almost sounds unholy to say enjoy God. Right. It almost sounds unholy. But we're made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why you're here. That's why you exist to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Beloved, I. I if we don't invest time and effort and thought into the enjoyment of God, the others of these five disciplines will feel less like a delight and more like a duty to you. If we don't practice enjoying God, all these disciplines will feel like a duty rather than a delight. In fact, that's the reality for most of us in this room is that your spiritual disciplines, right? Those other five things that I read off in the beginning that's in your bulletin at the top and the bottom of the picture, Oftentimes, for most of us, those feel like duties for you. They feel like duties for me. And it's not that they're not duties, but they're not delights for you. And they're not delights for me. Beloved, I think that they're not delights because 
we've, been, we've not been in the presence of divinity. And we need to change that. We have to refuse to live a life of drudgery in existence with the atrophied muscle of enjoying God. And so this morning, opening your copy of God's Word to Psalm 16. And we're not going to exegete the passage, but we're going to use it as a springboard. Psalm chapter 16. Family, as I read this psalm, your job is to pray that the Lord would make this psalm a reality for you. That's your job as I read this. I want this psalm to be real for you this morning. And not in an aspirational way, but in an actual one. But you've got to consider if it's aspirational right now or if it's actual. Okay, Psalm 16, listen to the word of God, starting in verse 5. I'm praying this for you. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, when my thoughts trouble me, I will always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. Verse 11, listen to this. Lord, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand, there are eternal pleasures. Father, I pray that as we walk through this idea of enjoying God, and as we've read your word over your people, I pray that this would be a reality for them if not now, then so soon. That they would be able to say, Lord, you are my portion. That they would dwell with you in such a way where they could say, literally, at your right hand, Lord, I know from experience are eternal pleasures. Because I've been there. I've, I've drunken deeply from the waters of our spirit. From the spirit of God. Lord, would you make this a reality for us? And if, not, if it's not a reality, Lord, would we strive for those words to be real for us? This morning, help us to be practical with the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, I want those words to sink in. And I want you to want what the psalmist said. Okay, those are the words of a man who knows God, but not just a man who knows God. He's a man who's satisfied. He's satisfied with God. He's pleased with God. God is his portion is what he says. That's what it means. Lord, the Lord is my portion. He's, my, 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 he's what I need. I need this right here. He's satisfied. He doesn't need anything else. The psalmist is showing us by example that we cannot be content with owning property. We cannot be fulfilled with power and influence. We cannot be satisfied if we got money longer than chain smoke. All of that is good. Helpful. Owning property is beautiful. 
But my friends, I'm telling you, if you make that your portion, it's like trying to satisfy hunger with cotton candy. It's sweet to the taste buds, but it's poisonous to the pancreas. Those things cannot be the thing that you try to satisfy yourself or your families with. We have to strive to be like the psalmist and say, Lord, I need you to be my portion. Because right now you're not. I need, I need to be satisfied with you because if I'm real, I'm not. I want God to be my portion. You, want, you need God to be your portion because you are built to enjoy the sustenance of the person of God. And my question is, do you know God? That's the question. Or are we, like many of us in the South, we know a lot about God. A lot of us know about God. A lot of us know his omnipresence and his omnipotence and his benevolence and all this stuff because we've studied it and reading uh, deep books on theology. Theology is great. I love it. Y'all know me. Y'all know I love theology. But knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. It's just not. No, if, if someone said you don't know your mother, your father, your, your nephew, your niece, your son, your daughter, you'd be like, how oh, foolish are you? Of course, I, I know them. I don't just know their height and their age and their birth date. I know them. There's an intimacy that's hard to even explain with the mouth of how deep you know those people around you. An encounter with God is unmistakable. When he quickens you from spiritual death to spiritual life, it's something that you cannot miss. When you are blind and now you see, you're, you've been forever changed and you realize that your pursuit of happiness is futile apart from knowing God. But maybe that's just it when it comes to our enjoyment of God. Beloved, perhaps you don't know God. You. And maybe that's why you can't enjoy him. You can't enjoy somebody you don't know. And I know that for a lot of us, we grow up believing that we know God. We've been taught in Sunday school about God. But have you had an encounter with the living God? Do you know him or do you know about him? Beloved, I want you to be honest for a moment with yourself. Please just be honest with yourself. If in your heart of hearts, you don't know if you know God, I want you to confess and admit that. And don't play church up in here. If you don't know that you know God, I want you to confess and admit that in your heart and in your mind right now. And I want to tell you, I want you to listen closely to my words. You will never know God in as much as you know and trust Jesus. If you don't know and trust the Savior, you will never know God. Because it's Jesus who is the very representation and introducer of the person of God, Father, Son, and Spirit to us. He's the one who reveals God to us. We see that in John 1.18, John 14, 6-11, Matthew 11, Colossians chapter 1. Jesus, who is God, entered into creation. Jesus, who is all good in heaven, all by himself. Father, Son, and Spirit was good. But he decided to enter into his own creation by putting on human flesh. This is called incarnation. 
What Jesus did is he came and he sympathized, he empathized with us, a sinful, wretched people who don't know him and don't know his father. And so we decided to introduce them to the person of the triune God by entering into creation to show them something they don't know. They don't see. And what Jesus said is, I don't come for those who think they're healed. I come for those who are sick and they know it. Whether I show it to them or they've already known it, but you have to know and see you're sick. And you have to know and see that you perhaps don't know God. Because if you think you know him, you won't seek him. And if you think you know him, you won't go to the Savior who introduces you to him. You'll just think you're good. But you're not good. You're not okay. And as much of us here who do know God, we know God to degrees, to levels. Our intimacy with God grows deeper and deeper. So this truth about knowing Jesus is for those who truly know God and for those who don't know God, both because we need to grow closer to him. It's a, a life of growing closer to Jesus. That's why it's our, it's our call and our mission and our vision at Pillar. Get close to Jesus. I don't care where you are, just find him and get to him. Jesus, who is God, entered into his own creation with the mission of saving a people from their sins unto himself. People like you and people like me. This is why Jesus came, to save people. That those of us who are dead in our sins may be given eternal life because of the person of Jesus in John 10. That we who are orphans in this world, that's a reality for some of y'all. You're orphans in this world. Your dad or your mom, did not, they did not raise you. They gave you up for whatever reason. We could be orphans in this world, but Jesus comes that we may be adopted by the Father. How much of our identity gets wrapped up in him when we realize that? We're not abandoned. We're not fatherless. We're not parentless. We have one. So cool. That those of us who are lost, this is for some of y'all, this is really y'all, for some of us who are lost in the circumstances of our life, right, we're going to talk about that later, right, life got us not knowing up from down or left from right, we're lost, but in Jesus we end up being found in John 15, that we who are sinners and sufferers can find a tender, loving God, Matthew chapter 11, in the person of Jesus, that those of us who deserve God's wrath for our sin, that sin can be absorbed by the person of Jesus. First John chapter four, that Jesus, what's called propitiated God's wrath. That means he satisfied God's wrath for us, which means those who have uh, uh, disobeyed and have um, um, disrespected and spit upon the Lord Jesus, uh, spit upon the person of God, Jesus comes and those who have faith in him, Jesus satisfies God's wrath toward those people who have faith in Jesus. Guys, you've never been loved by anyone like you've been loved by the person of Jesus. None of you have been. I don't care how much your parents or your uncle, your auntie love you. Jesus has loved you in vastly greater ways. The scripture says in John 15, no one has greater love than this, that they lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for people like you and people like me. This is what he did. This is what's called true. Romans 5 says this. It says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God, listen, listen to verse eight, Romans five, eight. Just remember this verse. Ready? But God proves. He's proving something to you and me. God proves his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We don't give our lives for those we call family and friends. How much more so for those who we have enmity with? But while we had, well, while we had beef with God, God gave himself to save those who we had beef with. That was you and me. We pull out the... We smoke those we got beef with. But God is... He says, no, I'm going to give of myself. I'm going to take the L for them. For me, for you. This is the testimony of the scriptures that God calls you ungodly, but then he also calls you a friend. His love is unmatched and it's unparalleled. And he gives himself that people like you and me may be made right with God, but you have to turn from sin and trust in Jesus. That's what's called repentance and faith. Turning from what you once put your trust in and putting your placing your trust in the person of Jesus to make you right with God again. You're trusting that Jesus can make you right with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That's what you're trusting him to do for you. To save you from the wrath to come. That's what Jesus does for you. That's why we call it saving us. He literally rescues us. And because of Jesus on the cross, we are forgiven of our sins. And you went from being an ungodly to a friend. And it's beautiful. Once you turn from your sin and, and trust in Jesus, perhaps for the very first time in your life, you will actually be able to enjoy God because you'll be able to enjoy, firstly, his gospel, his saving work for people like you and me. You can now enjoy that. The first step to enjoying God is knowing God. And he is most clearly seen and experienced in the person of Jesus. And if you don't have your trust in Jesus, you don't know God. You know about him. You'll be able to say with the psalmist in Psalm 35, 9, then I will rejoice in the Lord. And then listen to what he says. I will delight in what? In his deliverance of me. I get to delight. I get to enjoy what Jesus has done for me. That's the first way we enjoy God, by sitting back and remembering what Jesus did for me. Great thing. But that's not the only way we enjoy God. We also enjoy God through the scriptures. Love it. When you read your Bible, you want the words to go from your head to your heart to your hands. Okay, that's how you know you've come to embrace the word of truth. When it starts here and then it impacts here and then it comes to fruition through here. Okay, through action, through feet and hands. That's how you know you come to embrace the word of truth. Brethren, I want to call you to this, to invest. Listen to the words, I'm choosing it carefully. Invest time in your Bibles. Not spend. Spending has no ROI. Investment does, right? Invest time in the scriptures. You enjoy God by reading of all his glorious works. By reading of his love and his watch care for his people. By reading how God keeps every single promise he's ever made. 
This is how you enjoy God through the scriptures. You read what God has done and you marvel like, Lord, is that real? What? You did what? Who praise you? Because I wouldn't have done that. (laughs) Discovering things in God's word is absolutely exhilarating. Have you ever read the text and then come back a month later and read the same text and felt like it was a completely new text to you? You read a verse. You're like, that's nice. Come back a month later, you read that verse, and you're like, oh, how did I miss that? This is God allowing you to enjoy his word. He's showing you stuff. In his, when you swim around, and this verse, and it's reminding you of that verse that you read. He's, he's like, come enjoy my word. It's good. It's leading you to water. It's fresh. It feels good. It's exhilarating to learn of your creator. It's fun to learn of the God who made you. You ever been moved by a text and you didn't want it to move you? Enjoy God's love of you in such a way where he's willing to move you to a place that's better for you. Seeing things in a text you've never seen before. Friends, it's okay to enjoy God with your mind. That's what I want. That's how you enjoy it through the scriptures with your mind that it leads to your heart and then to your hands. And that's why we just read in Deuteronomy six and and, in other scriptures in Mark chapter 12. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Guys, we have a faith, but your faith cannot be strictly affection, emotion and emotion based. It starts here. And once it gets here, it affects your emotions. And once it affects your emotions, it makes you do stuff. Our faith impacts the whole man and the whole woman. It start, if, it, if it skipped this and went right to here, be leery. If it's all this, but it can't be articulated here, be leery. If it's all this and no this or this, be leery. Good theology fleshes itself out from the mind to the heart to the hands. Most of us have half theology. I, in so many ways, have half theological realities. I believe it here and here, but I don't really want to do it here. I haven't fully grasped the reality of that text yet. Psalm 111 verse 2 says, the Lord's works are great. And then listen to this. It's studied here by all who delight here in him. Y'all see that? It's studied by those who delight in him. But reflecting on what Jesus has done and, and, and what the scriptures say is not the only way to enjoy God. Another way to enjoy God is to be enraptured in the beauty of his creation in general. I want you to use a little bit of imagination here. Have you ever stood on the beach and felt the vast power of the ocean? If you've ever been on vacation and you sat at a beach and you stood there and you just watched the waves roll in. Have you ever thought about the power of God in that moment? If you haven't and you're going to a beach for vacation soon, please do that. Feel the power of God off the waters of his creation. Some of you have flown in planes over the western side of our country and you've seen the expansive might of mountains. If you've never seen mountains, you've been to Colorado or Utah, you see mountains instantly. You're like, whoa, that's power made that. That's what you can't help but think it. It's natural to think it. You see, you're like, power made that. Enjoy. And be in wonder of that. If you guys drive just a little south from here where there's less lights and, and less buildings, and you look up at a clear summer night and you'll behold the sheer awesomeness of space and stars and planets. 
God is speaking to us through those things. Remember my power, my, the vastness of my might. Listen to Psalm 19, verse 1 and 2. It says, this is what it says about that space and those stars and those planets. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So you get to enjoy that. You sit back and you just look and just enjoy. I'm going to talk about enemies of enjoyment in a minute. But just enjoy that. It says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Then look at verse 2. Verse 2 is so dope. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. You're supposed to learn from that and enjoy that. It's not just there. It was placed specifically, strategically for you, for me, for God's glory. Enjoy the space and the stars. And all of those things are big, mighty things. But then we forget to enjoy God in the small, little, detailed, delicate things. Those of us who are in school for biology, then you know about the intricate, logical inner workings of cellular structures. When you see that, you're like, whoa, this is vastly complex and it's microscopic. God doesn't just make big mountains. He, he makes these little, itty-bitty, delicate, complex beauties of creation. Some of you can just sit on your stoop and see birds soaring. If you've ever seen a hummingbird just hovering, that's a beauty to, be, to behold. Never seen the radiant palette of the Caribbean Sea or the vivid colors of leaves in the fall. We gotta take time just to enjoy crisp spring breezes. You guys ever tasted a warm oatmeal cookie? God's saying, enjoy these gifts. You ever sat down alone throwing noise-canceling headphones and been enraptured in music? God's gift to us. Enjoy those things. You ever sat by the warmth of a fireplace in the midst of a bright winter snow falling down? God says, enjoy me and enjoy my creation. Don't forget who made this. I made these things. I gave you these taste buds, these sensations, that warmth, that bright snow. Enjoy me in these things. I made these things. They're pointing to him. Another way to enjoy God is the fact that we get to communicate to him in prayer. There's no such thing as a relationship that doesn't have communication, right? There's no such thing as a relationship that has no communication. In order to enjoy God, you must speak to God in prayer. And after hearing what Jesus has done for you, after reading God's word and his character through the scriptures, after beholding the beauty of creation, we get to sit down and bear our souls to God. You get to sing songs of joy and sorrow to God. We get to ask God all the hard questions about life, tragedy, and pain. We get to do that. We get to close our eyes, open our mouths, and communicate with the creator of the heavens and the universe. You know what's the most amazing part about this? He hears you. The almighty creator who created Barak ex nihilo, he created all things out of nothing. Listen to little old sinful you. Come on, baby, sit on my lap. Tell me, tell me what's going on. One theologian said it like this. He said, our duty is to lay ourselves in the way of allurement. God's duty is to allure. What does that mean? Our duty 
is to place ourselves in a position to be able to be amazed by God. God's job is he's going to amaze us once we place ourselves in position to see it. Now, let me say this. The statement is true, but it's telling when it's juxtaposed with reality. If enjoying God is so amazing and it's so readily available to us, why is it so elusive? Right? That was what I started with. It's the most elusive of the spiritual disciplines. But if it's everywhere, I just gave you, you can't not see the, great, the greatness of God now. As soon as you leave, you see the colored leaf, God's beauty beheld right there. You can't leave. But why is it so elusive to us? Why is enjoying God not simple, not plain? I believe there are enemies to enjoyment. There are things that are in the way of us enjoying God. Here's the first enemy of enjoyment. It's the dreaded word, words, busyness and tiredness. It's not a badge of honor to be busy or tired. Stop being busy and tired. We all busy and tired. But you can't enjoy God when you're busy and tired. Our culture preaches this thing called productivity to us and it stuffs it down our throat. We look at how Elon Musk and and, and Steve Jobs and all these people, they literally don't sleep in order to make their businesses successful. You want to live that life? A life of being a slave to the thing you created? And you can't even enjoy the God who created you. Even when we're not busy and we're not tired, this is what we tend to do because culture has kind of defaulted us to do this. It defaults us to fill our time with distractions. When you had nothing in your calendar, what's the first thing you're doing? Trying to fill that mug up. Why? Why do we do that? So I do it. I know y'all do it. Why are we doing this? That's why I call it investing time with God. Remember we read in Psalm 16, verse 11? It says, in your presence is abundant joy, and at your right hand are eternal pleasures. Right? But if you don't spend time at the side of God, you'll never experience those eternal pleasures. You'll never allow this psalm to be nothing other, nothing other than aspirational for you because you're so busy. You're never at the right hand of the Lord. If you don't make time to enjoy God and make space to enjoy, if you don't make, uh, you'll never enjoy God if you don't make space to enjoy him. And here's the indictment. If you can make space to enjoy your friends, you can make space to enjoy God. We all do that. Second enemy of enjoying God is the enemy of faulty expectations. That'll zap our enjoyment of God. Nothing zaps our joy faster than expecting one thing and receiving another. That's a killjoy, right? Like, you never enjoy the power of a monster truck if you're expecting it to go as fast as a Lamborghini, right? You'll ignore the power because you want the speed. You wanted one thing, it delivered something else, but you can't even enjoy what it is. We tend to do that with God, where we have an expectation that God's going to do something that we need him to do. But when he does something else, we get really upset with him when the thing that he did do is the very thing we need to be sitting in and enjoying. When God changes your plans. You ever say that? No, no, we call it things got messed up. That's what we call it. Sometimes it's just God saying, nah, it ain't going down like this. I need you to sit in this. There's been times where you have plans to go out with a friend or, or a neighbor or something, and God, God canceled everything, and now you're sitting at home with your kids. You're sitting at home with your sister and your brother, right? And you're like, oh, my plans got messed up. No. No, maybe you're supposed to invest in that relationship right now. Maybe God's sparing you from something. 
but the faulty expectation makes you not be able to enjoy the reality that you're now in. It took it away. One of Satan's greatest schemes is to tell you lies about God, what God is and isn't supposed to do for you. And what that does in us is it grows a false expectation of God in our heads. But if we're, if, and then eventually when that false expectation of God hits, we become dissatisfied with him, disillusioned with him. We, don't know, we no longer go to him because he didn't do what we asked him to do. When we were unfamiliar with the scriptures to know what God was really saying he was going to do. That's why enjoying the God in the scriptures is so important. It keeps our expectations of God in line. That's why doing biblical theology is so important because it tells us in time and space what God is doing and how he's revealing himself. And maybe, just maybe, we'll get it right. We'll say, oh, God is doing this. And we can fall in line with that. Third enemy of enjoying God is the enemy of replacement or misplaced focus. Okay, you ever been at work and you're having a good day and then your coworker, your boss come talking, talking crazy to you? Right. And all of a sudden you're like, I was having a good day till this person came over. Right. What did it do? It, it replaced whatever it was you were dwelling on, whatever state of mind you were in. It just replaces. You ever been in a good mood and then somebody gives you some tragic news? All of a sudden, everything about what you know and believe gets sucked into that tragic news that you just heard. Right. That's what it does. It just kind of sucks you in. It's the theological concept of killjoy. I just made that up. That's what it is. Killjoy is a scent to turn your eyes from the permanence of who you are in Christ to make you focus on the tyranny of the temporary. That's what it is. Ready? I'm, I'm going to say it one more time. Killjoy is a scent to turn your eyes from the permanence of who you are in Christ to make you focus on the tyranny of the temporary. That's when a, a tragedy happens and we forget all about who we are in Christ and who God is in this world. And we kind of lose it for a little bit because we're not thinking anymore about who God has revealed himself to be in the scriptures. The aim of the world and Satan and even our flesh is complying in this. The aim is to make us think on things that are hard and painful long enough to where we begin to wear a posture of skepticism and anger. That helps to destroy your witness to this world. When you have a posture of skepticism and anger. And then you cannot tell anybody that you enjoy God when you're an angry, skeptical person. Enjoying God in prayer refocuses you to on the eternal. It reminds you that things are the way they are now, but they'll not always be that way. It reminds you of a greater hope in our, in our Savior, Christ Jesus. It reminds you that there are people in this world who actually want to see you flourish and that every bad thing that happens to you is not a personal attack from God towards you. But rather, God is for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. Then we keep our eyes peeled, for these enemies of enjoyment, we can say with the psalmist what he said in, in, in our psalm. He could say, we could say, Lord, you truly are my portion and my cup of blessing. I have a beautiful inheritance, it says. We could say like verse 7, I will bless the Lord who counsels me. Even, night, even at night when my thoughts trouble me, I will always let the Lord guide me, he says. Because you are my... You are, uh, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. And this is my prayer for you, that you would invest time in enjoying God through the person of Jesus and what he has done. 
that you would enjoy God through what the scriptures teach, all the beauties of God and his promises, all the beauties of the covenants and what God has done in and through the people of God throughout history and how his redemptive plan is to save a people from all tribe, tongues, and nations under one banner and one Christ that we will serve him united and show this whole world what a kindos person looks like, a, a brand new, never seen before people of God. Where there's no beef and no strife, but y'all don't agree on nothing else outside of Jesus. But y'all love each other like crazy up in here. How? Why? Because the person, the gospel has transformed you. We can enjoy that. We can enjoy the wonder of creation for a change. We can step outside, sit down, and just watch the animals crawl. We can watch our kids learn. That's amazing. You ever watch kids learn? Astounding. Enjoy. we can enjoy God by just talking to him. The openness of prayer. And then maybe together we can honestly say as a body that the Lord is our portion. But if you don't know God, you'll never enjoy God. And you only know God in as much as you know the person of Jesus. So that's why I started this whole thing by reminding you of what Jesus did. Of his coming in entering into humanity, putting on human flesh to redeem a sinful people like you and me. And if your trust is not in that, you don't know God. You just know about him. Father, the reality is that many of us in this room need to be closer to you than where we are. Many of us in this room struggle with the most elusive of these six basics, which is enjoying you. And the other five of the six are a drudgery when we don't know you. I don't want to boldly evangelize if I'm not enjoying you. I'm leading people to someone I don't know. Spiritual formation is a moot point without you. For we are spiritually dead from not knowing you. Father God, what could we possibly repent of if we don't understand the sacrifice of what Christ has done? What sin are we turning from? And what are we turning to? But Lord, I don't want to repent if I don't enjoy you. In a very real way, Lord, if we don't stop and, and strengthen the muscle of enjoyment in God, the rest of it will just be drudgery. It'll be pain. It'll be hard. It'll be wearisome. We don't grow weary in well-doing because we remember in glory in what you've done. We get to enjoy you, Lord Jesus. We get to enjoy you, Father. Holy Spirit, would you allow these people to enjoy you? They were made to glorify you and enjoy you. So would you take the enemies of enjoyment off of their plate? Would you give them eyes to see the enemy schemes? Would you slow them down enough to sit back and look at you at wonder and awe? Would you expand their 10 minutes of freedom to 30 minutes of free time to an hour of free time and that they wouldn't celebrate busyness? They would celebrate time and investment in you and what you're doing in them. And would they not fill their calendars with distractions, but they would find time to just get close to you, King Jesus? Help me, help us to get ever closer to you. I need you, we need you. And Lord, we are careful to give you all the praise for this.
Help us to enjoy you in Christ's name. Amen.